welcome table, you're usually not abandoned there. I just want you to know. It's just we're missing a teacher this week, so you're abandoned. But we will be there. Um, okay, so this year we are doing Matthew, which you probably already know. And if you've been with Women at the Well from the beginning, raise your hand if you've been with Women at the Well from the beginning. I know there's, yeah, there's, look, then we've already done Matthew. But good thing we've aged enough that we can do it again. Because, you know, just let three or four years pass and you're good to go. You're like a fresh, clean slate. Um, so anyway, that's how I felt about it. And, I, you know, I don't even know where my old notes went from the first time around that we did this. So, okay, speaking of memory loss, um, <laughs> but you guys know it, or at least if you've been in Women as Well or if you attend this church, you know that uh, Scott's parents have been... We've been on, on the, the adventure the past maybe year and a half and uh, with their aging process. And they have moved, I don't know, I've lost count how many times we've moved them over the past uh, year, year and a half as their conditions worsened. Or, so uh, Scott's mom has dementia, Scott's dad has cognitive issues, plus he's had now four little strokes. So, um, so anyways. We've had to move them from place to place to place to place as their conditions worsen. And so, you know, when you get to a new place, it's kind of like, oh, what can I tell you in a nutshell about these people, right? Because here they come to you, and they are not the people they used to be, but they were wonderful people. And, you know, I find myself telling the story over and over about how my mother-in-law saved my youngest from what she thought was going to be drowning because I was walking too slowly to go get her and she went in in her jeans and pulled Lucy out. I was, I was coming, but um, but that, that was her heart, right? Like, oh my gosh, I've got to take care of these grandchildren because look at this daughter-in-law. She's walking so slowly. Um, anyway, so I tried to say, you know, here are some stories about the people they used to be so that you kind of have an idea and, and you could love them too. You know, um, so here's what I would want you to know. After we moved Rita to the last place, in fact, um, I've told some of you have heard this story, but Scott was talking to one of the uh, the gals who runs the place later, and because Rita had been in a very talkative mood when she arrived and had said many things, so um, Deb at the at this place was saying, "So your mom was a nurse?" And Scott said, "No, she was never a nurse." Right? Oh, was she a dancer? No. <laughs> she was never a dancer. And then she said, was she a backup singer for Kenny Rogers? <laughs> <laughs> it's got lies. She has never been a backup singer for Kenny Rogers. Was she a teacher? Yes, yes, she was a teacher. That was true. And so Scott said, you know, the exciting thing about dementia is thinking, my mom is living this very exciting life now, right? <laughs> because if you are no longer bound by memories and facts, you can be a backup singer for Kenny Rogers. You can be whatever you want. Um, so that's good stuff. Um, and then this summer, you know, they, the kids also had to go through their house, and, and so I now have in my house many more new things that I, we didn't necessarily want. But, um, and I had to do some nagging this summer, like, hey, could we go through this mound of boxes of pictures so that they're not blocking them until we move out, you know? Um, so, and then, you, you know, you're going through these boxes and boxes and holding up things and like, who is this person, right? And newspaper articles, 
nobody we even know is mentioned in this article. Why did they save this newspaper article? You know, who is, what? And there's nobody to tell you anymore why those things were important and why they deserve to be saved for 70 years, right? Um, we can't ask anymore. So the reason I'm talking about this is because we are studying Matthew this year. And, you know, there are four Gospels in the Bible. I'll talk about that in a second. But what we're looking at is you think about the early followers of Jesus and then saying, okay, there are going to come people later who did not ever know Jesus, right? Who didn't ever see him, who didn't ever hear him in person. Um, what would we want them to know about Jesus, right? Here's what we knew about him, and here's what we want you to know about him. So we are getting really in, in the Gospels this, this um, very precious package, kind of care package, from the first followers of Jesus saying, here's what we want you to know about him, okay? So that since we know you didn't ever get to see him. Um, you know, the synoptic gospels, they're called that, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, they're called that because it's seeing together, right? Um, they're very similar in some ways. They say Mark was the first gospel, and they have ways of knowing that because they say, you know, there's nothing in Mark that doesn't show up in Matthew or Luke, and sometimes Matthew will agree with Mark, but not with Luke, and Luke will agree with Mark, but not with Matthew, so we know that Mark came first. So, you know, I think about this, and I think about um, one time one of Scott's aunts wrote this family history and passed it around, I've told you about this, and everybody read it and said, oh, I, I remember something else about that, right? So, you think about Mark, when they first collected the stories about Jesus and the sayings of Jesus, and then started passing that around, right? And then Matthew, or whoever we call Matthew, comes along and goes, oh, well, I remember some other stuff, right? I'm going to add the other stuff I remember to give a more complete picture, right? Luke, same thing. Oh, this is great. I remember all these things about Jesus, but I remember a few other things, and I'm going to put in some other things that I remember. So... This is what we have in the Synoptic Gospels. And then John just goes off, as he often does, in his own little world and writes a very, very different Gospel. So, um, but we are doing one of the Synoptic Gospels. Here is what we knew about him. Here is what um, he would have wanted you to know about him. That kind of thing. Okay, so the first thing that Matthew wants us to know is where Jesus came from and how he fits in context. So we have, it's kind of the thesis statement, the very first line of the gospel, right? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The, oh, sorry, I usually write out Christ on the slide. X means Christ, okay, just so you know. And the son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay, so this is the thesis statement. He's saying Jesus is a descendant of David, of King David, and he is a descendant of Abraham. So meaning, right? He is the son of two promises. The son of two promises. Who is Jesus? He is the son of two promises. Um, if you were with us last year in Women of the Well, we were doing uh, First and Second Samuel, so life of David, which was a more tawdry life than many of us imagined. And uh, but one of the things you'll remember, Kristen uh, teaching on God coming to David and talking. David wanted to build a temple to God. And God came and said, you know what? You're not going to build the temple. But here's what's going to happen with us, right? He says, the Lord, the Lord will make you a house, you, David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come forth from your body, 
and I will establish his kingdom. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So David says, Lord, I want to build you a house. And God turns around and says, no, actually, I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build you a metaphorical house, a dynasty. Okay. We also know, so that was in 597 BC, we also know that the literal dynasty of David came to an end, right? Uh, if you were here in church this past Sunday and Scott ran through the entire Bible, you know that uh, the kingdom and the kingship of David came to an end. Right? They were, they were conquered by Babylon. They were taken off into exile. They never again had their own monarchy. Um, <clears throat> they got to come back eventually, but they weren't an independent kingdom after that. Uh, and the question then became, for, for the people who had read this promise, well, what was that about? What happened to the promise? What about the kingship that was going to go on and on and on and the house the Lord was going to build? Right? Um, was the promise not true? Option one. Option two, did it refer to a kingdom that would be restored eventually? Um, option three, did it re refer to a kingdom that would be restored but not literally? Would it be restored in a different form, a metaphorical form, a spiritual form, what have you? Okay? So those were the questions they were left with. Which is, which is it? What happened to the kingdom of David? Okay. So Matthew throws the possibility right at you. He says, Jesus is descended from David. So you know by him saying that, he is saying there is some sort of kingship in play here, right? That question that you have been wondering about for hundreds of years, I want to try to answer that. That kingship question, what happened to the kingship of David? I have a descendant of David here. I'm going to answer that kingship question. Okay. So that's the very first line. And then he says Jesus is the son of another promise, one supposedly shared with all the Jews on earth, not just the ones who came through David. He says he is the son of the covenant made with Abraham in Genesis 12 and again in Genesis 17. I will make of you, Abraham, a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, in him who curses you, I will curse. And by, by you, all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. Okay? So the second thing Matthew wants us to know about Jesus is that he is a link in this chain of blessing that has been going on for a very, 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 very long time. Right? So if he is a link in this chain of blessing, he has inherited that blessing of Abraham and that ability to bless others, right? To be a source of blessing for all the families of the earth. Okay, so what do we know? We know he's the son of David, he's the son of Abraham. So he is some kind of king, because he's in the line of kings, and he is also a chain in the link of blessings that God wants to give us. Okay, so, you know, for us to ask, if you're coming here and thinking, well, who is Jesus, right? Who is Jesus? Matthew is saying he is a ruler, and he's one through whom God wants to bless us. And, you know, the word gospel means good news, and, and does that sound like good news? Maybe, right? Maybe. Um, and the, the maybe might be the first bit especially. Well, who said I needed a ruler, right? I'm not. I'm not 
Jewish person with, you know, I don't need a ruler. Um, you know, but to those at the time, if you were a Jewish person living then and you were currently squashed under Rome's thumb, after having been squashed under just about everybody else's thumb ever since the exile um, 600 years earlier, then this could be good news, right? The return of the king. Yay, the real king is, has come back. The real king has come back. None of this Rome business, none of all these other people who've been kicking us around for 600 years, the real king is back. Okay, but you know, what about for the rest of us? Oh, I forgot that. What about for the rest of us? Um, who think, well, I'm not squashed under Rome's thumb, right? I'm a free and proud person. Um, do I really need a ruler? Can't I just work for myself and be my own boss? Um, I remember, I, a lot of you know, I wasn't raised Christian. I wasn't raised anything, no religion whatsoever. And so, you know, if, if that is your background, as it was mine, this is mysterious news. Well, why do I need a boss? I'm doing just fine by myself until I'm not, right? Which is always what happens. I'm doing just fine by myself. I don't need a boss. Um, but the, the funny thing is the Bible tells us in other places, which we're going to talk about, that actually everybody is working for a boss, right? You may not be, you may think you're working for yourself, but everybody actually has a boss. Um, so in the Gospel of John, he, John records Jesus saying, truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin, right? And Paul, the Apostle Paul, later takes this idea and he expands on it in Romans, which I've got there. And he says, don't you know that if you yield yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So both of them are saying, Jesus and Paul, are both saying, you know, whether you acknowledge it or not, everybody serves somebody. Everybody has a boss already. You may not acknowledge that boss, but you've got a boss, right? You're doing what somebody says. And so Matthew is saying, there's this other king you can serve, right? You're currently serving a king, but there's another king you can serve. And so the question becomes, well, who would I rather serve? Myself, but the Bible is telling me, actually, I'm serving something else called sin, right? The doing whatever I want, no matter what happens. Or do I want to serve this Jesus person? Okay, so that, that is the iffy part of the good news, right? That is the part that if you, if you talk to people who are not into religion, not into Christianity, you know, that's the part that doesn't make any sense. Well, I'm a good person, right? I, I'm the boss of me. I'm doing all right until I'm not, right? Okay, the second part sounds more palatable. Who is the source of blessing, right? Yeah, blessings, woo, we love blessings. Um, so if Jesus is blessed and meant to be a source of blessing, that's hooray part, right? And because he's a link in this chain, he's a both a provider of blessing, a receiver of blessing, a brother in blessing, a partner in this blessing business, and we all want this blessing business, right? And because we interpret blessings as health, wealth, happiness, beauty, you know, um, security, you know, if we say, I feel blessed, we don't usually mean, you know, like I've got an ingrown toenail. We mean, oh, you know, I've got enough money, the kids are doing okay, nobody's in crisis, you know, everything's going great. That's what we mean by blessing. 
and it means I got the spouse I wanted, I got the house I wanted, I have the friends I want, I went on the vacation I want, I have the kids I want, um, I have the kids' schools and kids' colleges that I want, right? And if we don't get these things, which we call blessings, we feel like, oh, what's wrong? What did I do wrong? What did God do wrong? That I'm not getting these things that I consider blessings and that the Bible tells me I'm going to get. Um, but as we're going to see, as we get a little further in Matthew, you don't have to get much further, hang out for Matthew 5 and the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus is going to reinterpret radically what it means to be blessed in his Sermon on the Mount. And we may not like all that he has to say. And you think, oh, all right, is it too late for me to sneak out of the room? This is really bad, right? We have a, the good news is bad news, right? There's this Jesus guy, and Matthew says he wants to be the boss of me, and he wants to bless me, but he, that doesn't mean he's going to give me health, wealth, happiness, like a hot body, and a really hot boyfriend, and everything, and fame. Um, so it's like, well, I don't know, maybe that's not what I want. I came across this great quote. I was, oh, there. Here's this, here's this woman at the well on the dock reading the good news. <laughs> Jesus is the boss of me, and he wants to bless me, but not necessarily with health, wealth, and happiness. You know, hmm, not too exciting. But then I was reading, um, this is Wisdom from Mario Puzo, the author of The Godfather. He has this great quote. He says, you can, with some impunity, right, without being um, repercussions, you can, with some impunity, insult an older man who has already been humiliated by life itself. And he won't take to heart the small slights of another human being, right? He's already been kicked around by life. But a young man thinks these offenses mortal. Um, in other words, the gospel, the good news we talked about, can be kind of a hard sell to someone who hasn't been kicked around a little bit by life, right? Uh, humbled by circumstances or by her own failings and their consequences. It doesn't take very long to start to be humbled by your own failings and the consequences. You know that list I went through, you know, when you look at your life, did you get the spouse you want, the house you want, the friends you want, the vacations you wanted? Did you get the kids you wanted? You know, did the kids go to the schools and colleges and turn out though and marry the people you wanted? You know, just did life turn out exactly how you would have written your life? Um, so the gospel can be a hard sell if you have not been kicked around by life. Um, which is what I, God bless people who do youth ministry, right? These people, these people who all think they're smarter than their parents, probably smarter than you because you're kind of out of it. You know, how do you tell them? You need a boss, and God wants to bless you, but not by making you a Kardashian. You know, how, how do you get that across? Um, so when you're young, you think you're a smarty pants. What is wrong with all the older people who made such a mess out of the world, right? And when, when you run the world, you are not going to make that mess. You're going to have a better marriage. You're not going to do that to your kids. You're not going to do that to the environment. You're not going to do that to everything, right? And, but as you get older, as we have all discovered, if we started from such a place in life, life happens, right? And your own brokenness, which you can blame to a point on your parents, but after a while, it starts to become your own brokenness. Um, your own brokenness begins to make itself more and more obvious, right? 
Um, you may have started with your parents' faults, like a like little seed crop, but then you are suddenly able to make your own faults and your own uh, mess-ups. And, and as we get older, we begin to understand, oh, wait a second, there aren't any such thing as perfect people, and maybe that includes me, too. And, um, and maybe all the older people in the world tried the best they could, right, with the hand they were dealt. Maybe they made the same discoveries I did. That's called maturity. I'm still waiting for it in some of my kids. Actually, in all of my kids, because they're all teenagers. But, um, so the beatdown we receive just from being alive softens us up for the gospel message. And that's actually a blessing, right? You wouldn't consider the beatdown of life a blessing. But we will discover that actually the Bible would call that a blessing, right? If you are softened up like tenderized meat by being beat on and hit on a thing with spikes, then that's actually a blessing. You will be a more tender person. Um, okay, I'm going to skip another paragraph. Yes, I'm skipping that paragraph. Okay, so yes, Jesus will say in his Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the beaten down, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? When you've got, when you're on top of the world, you are not very interested in a kingdom of heaven because your kingdom of earth is pretty nice. Thank you very much. But when you are beaten down, suddenly the kingdom of heaven looks better and better. Okay. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. If you never mourn, you don't really care, right? If you have mourned, and I'd say pretty much anyone over the age of 35 has had some mourning in their life. If you have mourned, it is good news. It is a blessing to think you will be comforted. Okay. So, that took a long time to get through the first line of the gospel. Don't worry, we're going to pick it up from here. Okay, what's in the rest of the chapter? What is in the rest? We have a very long genealogy. Um, and I bet your eyes glazed over when you read it. Um, there were some familiar names, some unfamiliar names. I'm just going to talk about a few thoughts on the genealogy. Um, one, one is uh, if you were a Jewish reader coming to this, coming to this Gospel of Matthew, um, you were used to the Jewish order of the books in the Jewish Bible, right? And in the Jewish Bible, Chronicles is placed last. You know, in the in the Christian Bible, they they put what's his name last, right? Because it ends with a prophecy about the coming Messiah, right? None of that nonsense in the Jewish Bible. In the Jewish Bible, um, they end with Chronicles. And if you've ever tried to make it through Chronicles, God bless you, um, Chronicles has a lot of genealogies. Um, the first nine chapters of Chronicles are all genealogies. From Adam to the Table of Nations, on down to the tribes of Israel, all the way down to the exile. Okay, so Matthew is making a very uh, deliberate decision to begin with the genealogy. Right? He is saying, I'm going to pick up where the Jewish Bible left off. I'm going to pick up with those genealogies, and I'm going to add back in those generations from the exile to the birth of Jesus. So I'm going to tie Jesus into the very end of the Jewish Bible, right? And those hundreds of years of silence, I'm going to pick it right up where it left off. Okay. So, uh, second thing about the genealogy, it is inclusive but it is not exhaustive. Matthew leaves out some kings, especially when, when, the, um, when, the, when the throne went sideways and then it would come back to somebody, right? He leaves all those people out. Never mind those people. Um, he, he's more interested in following Jesus' direct line. Uh, sometimes he skips over a few people to scrunch up the genealogy. 
he seems very interested in symmetry, right? He's like 14 generations from here to here, 14 from here to here, 14 from here to here. Um, so, you know, in order to make it all pretty like that, he does some scrunching and some, some cutting out. So, which makes us ask, well, why these 14? Why are these, what's so nice about, why can't it be 17, 14, 12, you know, why 14? A um, couple reasons, maybe, you know, uh, one multiple of seven. Seven is a very important number in the Bible. It's a number of completeness, right? So I guess 14 is like twice as complete. Right? Um, and of course, 42, 14 plus 14 plus 14, you know, what would that be? Six times as complete? Math majors, speak up. Um, okay, so multiple of seven. Um, also, 42, the total number I read in, this is the internet for you, this was an important number in Daniel. Well, you know, Daniel is kind of a wacky book, so I'm not going to put a lot of uh, weight on that either, right? People who are very into numbers love Daniel, love Revelation, that kind of stuff. Um, so that's a thing. Or could it possibly just be this is an easy mnemonic device, right? If you're trying to memorize this, you want to memorize Christ's genealogy, wouldn't 14, 14, 14 be easy? Okay, so who knows? Who knows? But we have 42 generations, okay? Plus or minus a few more that he left in or put out or whatever. But in the names still included, the nitty-gritty of the genealogy makes room for all of us. I'm going to do some skipping of my own as we go through this, hitting some highlights and lowlights. Okay. So we have quite characters here. We start off with the pagans and polytheists, right, from Genesis 12. Uh, anybody ever read The Red Tent by Anita Diamond? Yeah. Um, I remember reading that and being kind of shocked by how pagan and polytheistic everybody was, right? But then you think about it, and you're like, well, of course. Until God revealed himself and said, here I am, there's just one of me, right? Nobody had any idea. And if you look at all the religions of the world, everybody starts with lots of gods, right? Well, there's one there, and one there, and one there, right? God had to reveal to himself that actually I'm not plural, I'm not lots of gods, I'm not rocks and stones and suns and stars, I'm just God, right? Okay, so there are lots of pagans and polytheists. Um, and if you remember, um, Rachel did steal her father Laban's household idols, right? So Rachel was raised a nice, self-respecting polytheist, right? And so really it took God revealing himself to, um, to work this out of the family, this paganism and polytheism. Okay, next thing was the people with messy sexual lives, which is probably everybody, but some were messier than others. Um, there was Judah, who gets mentioned here, Judah, of course, who slept with his own daughter-in-law, Tamar. But good news, everybody, he thought she was a prostitute, so it's okay. <laughs> um, and then, and then, so there's that. And then we go down to Aminadab, who, I, I shouldn't, I'm skipping, he's not messy sexualized. But look, I found him. In the Sistine Chapel, you know, on, um, Michelangelo did, took this genealogy and did some ancestors of Christ. And there is Aminadab. Not that anyone rec would recognize him, because who's ever even heard of him, right? Um, but there he is. And so I was able to find out a little bit about Aminadab, besides the fact that he made the ceiling. Uh, he was Aaron's father-in-law, right? And so I think it's interesting that he's mentioned, because, of course, Jesus is from the line of the kings, not from the line of the priests. But because of Aminadab, we have this connection, right, between the priesthood and the kingship, 
So I think that's why Aminadab maybe didn't uh, get cut. Um, then we have good old, who knows how he said his name, I hope his mom knew, Nashon. Ah, uh, what? No. Hello. The guy looking kind of surly right there. Um, it turns out, in Jewish tradition, didn't make the Bible, um, he was supposedly, when the Red Sea parted, the first guy to put his toe in and start crossing. So it's like, oh, he's Mr. Faith in action, right? So that, he makes the ceiling, right? Good for you, okay? And then uh, Salmon, who, I, I couldn't fit everybody because they're so big and if I scrunch. So Salmon, with the unfortunate fishy name, um, he also made the ceiling. Um, and he was a contemporary of Joshua. And it says he was married to Rahab. Now we don't know if this is the Rahab that we meet in Joshua, but how many Rahabs would be famous enough to get mentioned, right? So it probably is. So we have a prostitute. So that's more of the sex, messy sexual life. Like, wow, you know, she's a foreigner and she's a prostitute, but she's really hot. All right, Samuel, go ahead and marry her. So we have that. And then of course we come down to Boaz and Ruth, and Boaz is like the all-time good guy in the Bible, right? He too takes this, oh, let me take this poor starving foreigner with her mother-in-law and I'm going to take him under my wing and provide for them and marry them. Ta-da. And then finally we get to the kings, okay? The kings. Uh, King David, who we studied last year, he doesn't need any introduction, nor do a lot of the kings who descended from him. It's lovely to see that um, Bathsheba kind of made the genealogy, right? The wife of Uriah. And not only made the genealogy, but made it in a way that makes David look bad, right? Uh, the wife of that other guy who uh, David had killed. Um, okay, so, and the kings who all get listed, they, they provide a complete representation of good kings, the bad kings, the kind of just ugly kings, right? Good kings, we have David for most of his life. Hmm. Hezekiah, right, these are the famous reformer. Josiah, these famous good kings. There were very bad kings. There was Rehoboam, who was uh, David's grandson, and who, if you remember, uh, the kingdom split into Israel and Judah under Rehoboam because he, he was kind of feisty with uh, his advisors. There was Ahaz, who sold out to the Assyrians for peace in his time, right? Even though Isaiah was like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Um, just leave me alone. Okay. There was Manasseh, who, Manasseh is famous because he restored the idols to Israel and the polytheistic cults. So good job, Manasseh. And then there were the ugly kings. Um, Abijah, he just kind of was kind of a warmonger who wasn't very successful. Uzziah, he was the king. He tried to offer incense on the altar. Uh, like a priest, and he got struck with leprosy. Um, Jeconiah, poor Jeconiah, he's the one who, when they finally got deposed and deported, he happened to be on the throne. So, in Jesus' family, there is room for all, right? Are you kind of paganistic and polytheistic? I'm really paganistic, I'm polytheistic. Um, you know, did you have a messy sexual life, right? Uh, were there people in your family that you were embarrassed of, or perhaps you were embarrassed of yourself? And there are things, people you were pleased with, right? In Jesus' family, there is room for everything. And finally, we come to Matthew's edition. Um, he takes the generations from the exile to Jesus. And Zerubbabel is probably the best known. So look at his name, it means seed of Babylon, right? Uh, Zerubbabel is the best known. He's the one who took the exiles back 
to Jerusalem. You can read about this in Ezra and Nehemiah. And he gets and he gets mentioned in Haggai. He gets mentioned in Zechariah because everybody thought, oh, this the literal kingdom of David will be restored because Zerubbabel is a descendant of David. That did not happen, right? It didn't happen. And we went from Zerubbabel, most famous, to these. Who are these people, right? Nobody. No. And maybe if those of you who are into genealogy, you might have like one famous person in the family, and then it's like, okay, and then this guy was an accountant, that guy was a farmer, right? Boring. So we come to all these other people, but they have good names. So if someone in your family is pregnant with a boy, and they need a name, here are some good names, right? Abayu, father of praise. Eliakim, whom God will raise up. Azor, a helper. Zadok, righteous or justified. Um, Akim, preparing, revenging, confirming. Eliud, God my praise. Eleazar, help of God. Methan, gift. Joseph, he will add. Poor Joseph, he's, I think, the only one who made like popular name lists. Um, he will add. So they're not as famous as Zerubbabel, but their names were better than seed of Babylon, right? Quietly, in obscurity, faithfully, God was at work. He will add. Okay, we're finally going to move on. That is very small print, so feel free to look at uh, verse 18. We're getting to the narrative. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. Uh-oh. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had born a son, and he called his name Jesus. Okay. Um, so Matthew has set the stage for Jesus' entrance into the world against this great historic back backdrop. And now he drops down into this very intimate story of two nobody teenagers getting married, right? And they find themselves in a tough situation. The girl is pregnant. How did that happen, right? And so um, you may wonder, what kind of man was Jesus' earthly father? Uh, why was he chosen, for example, and not his brother? You know, why Joseph? We talk a lot about why Mary, but why Joseph? Um, Luke is much more interested in Mary. Maybe he knew Mary better and got a lot more of the Mary stories, right? But um, Matthew, I'm grateful, is focused on Joseph and gives Joseph a little screen time. Um, and I think, for a couple reasons, I think, um, one, uh, because of who Joseph was, and two, because of that link to the, king, to the kingship, right? You need both of those things. Okay, so what did we learn about Joseph? We learned that Joseph... Joseph was honorable, right? He was honorable. You're getting married, you find out your girlfriend is pregnant, and you are not the father. But he thinks, well, this is embarrassing and shaming, not just to her, but also to me. But I don't want to make it worse, so I'll just give the baby my good name, 
and then get rid of her later because that's not my baby, right? But he's honorable. He wants to try to do the right thing in this horrible situation. He's compassionate, right? Um, how many boyfriends would put up with, hey, I'm pregnant with someone else's baby, but it's God's, don't worry, right? Um, he's he was a listener. Uh, he, you know, maybe coming from Mary, he was like, well, I'm going to need some confirmation of this news, right? But when God gave him confirmation, he listened. He was teachable. He was teachable. God spoke to him in a way that he could hear and understand. He was a teachable man. He was obedient. When he heard, when he understood, he obeyed. Okay, I will marry her, and I will divorce her later, and this baby really is from you, God. I will obey. He was faithful, right? He stayed married to Mary till the rest of his life. No one even bothered to write down what happened to him. Poor Joseph. Um, and he was, like I said, the son of David. So he learns your role, Joseph, he will add. Your meaning means he will add. You will add to the line of David. You will add to the line of kings. Because of you, the Son of God will be grafted into the line of kings. You will add. Okay. So what have we learned? We've learned we are cordially invited. Right? Matthew wants to introduce us to Jesus. Um, he says Jesus is the rightful ruler of not just the Jews, but of everyone. More on that later. He is a source of blessings, maybe not blessings as you define them, but blessings as God defines them. Um, Matthew hooks us into the writings and traditions to put place Jesus in a historic context, right? Um, he shows us that there's room in the family of God for all kinds, all kinds in that family, right? Um, male and female, Jew and foreigner, good, bad, ugly, famous, anonymous, Hope of nations, crushing disappointment, right? High, low, faithless, faithful, there is room for all of us in the family of God. And Jesus, because of this, Jesus belongs to everyone, and he calls us all to join his family, to be grafted in as he was. Um, if, like Joseph, we can be listeners, right? This year, can we be listeners? If, like Joseph, we can be teachable, are our hearts open to what God wants to teach us? Like Joseph, can we be obedient? When we hear what God has to say, can we obey? And like Joseph, can we be faithful? If we can, God is saying, he will add, like Joseph, he will add through us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for inviting us back this year. Thank you that you want to show us Jesus all over again. We pray, Holy Spirit, show us Jesus all over again. Soften our hearts to hear, to understand, Lord, to put into practice. We pray that you would add to what you are trying to do in this world through us. Add into us your Holy Spirit. Add into us a greater closeness to you and to Jesus and to each other, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.